0: There are many wonderful people adding to the positive outlook of a backcountry and hunting lifestyle. Our goal is to join them in promoting that outlook. Welcome to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and tactics of backcountry pursuits. Welcome back to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast. Uh, it's Joe and I here with you, and I'm going to go ahead and let Joe introduce our guest, Episode 3.
1: Hi, guys. Today, we have Rick Brulee. Did I get that right, Rick? That's right. He's yeah. from Vapor Trail Archery. He works there, and uh, we met him through the local BHA chapter here in Minnesota, and he's going to help us learn a little bit more about Vapor Trail's products, some of the science behind strings, or at least a little bit on how they're built and stuff like that. We'll dive into some bow tuning a little bit. And then also this monster whitetail sitting on the table between us. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that too. Nice. So. nice. It's going to be a interesting topic. So Yeah. Well, Rick, why
0: don't you, uh, we kind of have everybody do this a little bit. Why don't you just give us kind of a little bit of a backstory on your outdoor experience and growing up and okay.
2: take it away. Um, well, as you heard Joe say, my name is Rick Bruley, not Brule, like some people uh, mistakenly <laughs> refer to me as. The guy
1: just did. <laughs> and, uh,
2: which is okay because there's a lot of people that think that's my, how they say my name. But in any case, um, yeah, I grew up in Northwest Minnesota, um, did a lot of hunting with my dad. It was, you know, he was pretty busy working and stuff like that. So if there was anything that we could do, it'd be going out and doing some of that, mostly deer hunting. Um, And it was, you know, I always really looked forward to it because it was rifle hunting. And back then, you got one weekend. That was it. So four days out of the year. And actually, the first weekend, you could hunt two days. The second weekend, you could hunt four days. And we always did the second weekend because then it was an excuse for us to hunt more days. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I remember just having a hard time sleeping the night before, you know, you're super excited. And then, you know, when I think back on it, it's like some of the places that we hunted, there's no chance we were going to ever see deer. (laughs) so (laughs) It's like, but, um, but yeah, we, uh, we did a lot of that. And then, um, I did little grouse hunting with my buddies and stuff. That was, that was about the extent of it. Moved to college, went to Duluth. Um, nice, lots of hunting and fishing opportunities and all kinds of stuff there. So I spent a lot of time um, bow hunting. Is where where I really got into that. Got myself a little PSE Nova for like twenty five bucks. I think that, was that was my, my first bow. Yep, too. That was <laughs> mine. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Shooting some old Easton aluminum arrows with some uh, uh, what was the Rocky Mountain broadhead? I think I had on yeah. there. Um, had an old teardrop string. I remember I brought it into Gander Mountain one time to have a new string put on and the guy just like ran over it with a lighter real quick to get the fuzz off. <laughs> <laughs> Set sent me on my way. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, then just, you know, you just get busy with school and stuff. So I kind of put, you know, I hung it up and I didn't do a lot of any more bow hunting, but I still hunted with my dad. Um, then I moved down to Arizona, uh, to get you know, just to get focused, I was too was too much fun stuff to do in Duluth, yeah. so I had to go yeah. away.
1: Which so, Arizona's kind of known as, like, party school, too.
2: Yeah, but I went to, like, kind of a nerdy school called uh, the University of Advancing Technology. I was going there for computer animation production. Oh, So wow. it' was like, all the kids, I, I was twenty four at the time and everybody Dreaming that I was going to
1: South Park episodes and yeah, stuff. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, there was just like a lot of, um, you know, like, uh, video game designers oh, yeah. there. And so needless to say, I was kind of out of my element when it came <laughs> to that. Uh, but either way i did actually do some hunting down there too um i did some javelina hunting with my bow and some friends and um i didn't have any none of us had success but it was still good to get out and kind of see some of the country and then ended up coming back to minnesota had some family stuff you know some family medical stuff going on so i came back um and then started working at Sportsman's Warehouse. Okay. okay. Yeah. And just to make a little bit of money to get by until I could figure out what I was going to do. And then I got immersed in that. And that's what eventually brought me down to Minneapolis area. Okay. And uh, so I was working there. They went out of business and I had a close relationship with the guys at Vapor Trail, just ordering strings and cables from them. Yeah. And one day I happened to walk into the shop and to pick up a set, and they were just getting slammed. And I thought, "Gosh, I need some help." <laughs> yeah, so Jared taught me how to build a set of strings and cables right there, and nice. that's kind of where it started.
0: Nice. Awesome, awesome.
2: So yeah, we could we could probably talk a little bit
0: about Vapor Trail. I wanted to ask you. So, how long have you been bow hunting? Then?
2: Well, I first got my bow when I was sixteen. Yeah, uh, so that I'm thirty eight or I will be thirty-eight soon. So okay. I'll spend twenty or twenty. What is that? Twenty-two can I years. twenty? That? Yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so what's the what's the first critter you took with your bow? Uh, <laughs> that's actually kind of a funny story. I d- I didn't have the first bow that I got. That PSC Nova. I didn't have it very long, um, and I I didn't have like really anything to shoot at. Even like yeah. I didn't have a target or anything. So <laughs> I was just hanging out one day, and there was a rabbit in the backyard. So there you go. <laughs> And not knowing that I need to have a different head on the arrow. Sure. Oh. I shot it with a field point. <laughs> and uh, it was like kind of a traumatic experience actually. Sure. It, you know, it just hit it in the head and it was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was what's interesting. So I, I didn't know what to do with it. So I just took it and like there was a river in our backyard. So I just like threw it back by the river. Yep. And then I told the story to my dad. And when I was telling it to him, I got like a little bit teared up. And I was like 16 years old. Yeah. Yeah, So he was like, he just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. (laughs) So then like uh, they'd always, him and my uncles would always joke about, you know, showing up in a rabbit suit someday just to try to, (laughs) try to get me upset about it or something. I don't know. Uh, Oh man. That's awesome. But that was the first critter that I ever shot. And then I didn't um, take an animal with my bow. Until I was the first one I took was when I was twenty five. Okay. Oh, wow. So almost nine years later. Sure. Okay. But I didn't like I said, I got when I went to college, I wasn't real active with it. You know, yeah. I was still doing the rifle hunting once a year, but I didn't yeah. really get active with my bow until about two thousand five when I moved back. Cool. That's awesome. Speaking of critters, I think we better talk about this critter that's
0: well, it's head anyway, that's laying <laughs> on our table in front of us. Maybe you could share the the
2: story about this awesome buck with us. Um, yeah, it was a pretty, um, uh, surreal experience. You know, it's, I just, I've always hunted for so long and, I, and Minnesota is just a tough state to hunt. You know, yeah. it's, uh, I, I've had some public access, you know, stuff or uh, some private access, but mostly it's been public and it's tough. Cause there's a lot of hunters. Um, but, uh, yeah. This one in particular, when I moved down here, I started getting involved in some of the Metro hunts. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I've been hunting them since I first got here. So 2006 was the first year I hunted them. Okay. Um, and I've applied every year and the only years that I hadn't hunted Metro hunts was, uh, was 2016 and 2015. Um, it's just getting harder to get in. There's getting a lot more people were getting involved, uh, which is great. Yeah. Yep. Um, but i hadn't i hadn't gotten into any 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 metro hunts but i had hunted a lot of different areas some areas in st paul um and you know, seeing some, seen some good bucks and some of those hunts and shot a lot of does, yeah. um, you know, filled the freezer with a lot of does. So it was always rewarding for me, no matter what. Yeah, know? And just being able to have a place to go and hunt was always great. And then anytime you'd get some new guys coming in, it was kind of fun to kind of mentor some, some up and coming hunters, you know, yeah. there, it was a good group of people, you know, for the most part, sometimes you get some yahoos that come along that, yeah. you know, you're not sure if they should have a bow in their hands, but, <laughs> um, yeah, but for the most part, always a good experience. But so long story short, getting back to this deer, um, I had been hunting an area, uh, over in Dakota County and early in the season, it w- it was a, it was, there was four weekends and we had had, normally you can only hunt two of the weekends, but we had had a lot of people dropping out. There was one guy was hunting and, you know, elk and Out west, and some guys couldn't hunt, so it opened up some spots. Okay. Um, and so I had the choice. I was the first one to get to pick where I, which weekend I wanted to hunt. Well, I picked the first and the second weekend because I figured, you know, based on, you know, the deer movement and stuff like that, and when those weekends were, I figured that would give me my best chance. Mm -hmm. Um, so the first weekend I was hunting, um, I had seen a fairly decent buck for like a split second. Um, And one thing that I learned that I've started to learn is that I I look at my phone less now when I'm sitting in a tree. You kind of get to that point where it got to that point where, where, you know, you were able to do more with social media on your phone and stuff like that. So it got real easy to just stare at your phone. Yeah. And I had the mentality where it's like, well then I'm not moving as much, but I'm also not, Aware as right. much, so, seeing is yeah. So I try not to use my phone as much as possible, and I and I just keep myself entertained by using the binoculars and just picking apart every twig, branch, tree I could think of, just staring out there. And I happened to see this buck for about a split second. Never would have seen him otherwise. Yeah. And it wasn't him. It wasn't the one sitting on the table, but he was a real nice deer, probably a hundred and fifty inch ten point. Nice. Uh, and I never saw him again. And nobody else ever saw him in the hunt either. There was about, I think, there was fifteen of us total hunting in this in two different sections. Jeez. Isn't that
0: crazy about whitetails?
2: That's no, like, just one thing that blows me away. Yeah,
1: that's I've. I mean, I've two years ago I had two really nice bucks walk by my stand on opening morning, not by my stand. They were fifty yards out, and they had a little clearing, and they stopped, and I never saw one of them ever again and then I had that one I was hunting his scrape line which Brian and I are going to hunt turkeys on that scrape line tomorrow but I was hunting that scrape line I had him come in he walked straight at me never gave me a shot walked literally underneath my stand and then turned and walked straight away so I could never get a shot I've never seen that buck again never found any of their sheds nothing and they all stick to this little 40 acre property and they're like little ghosts Mm -hmm.
0: yeah they
1: literally are there's
0: no better way than explaining when they get mature they they just become like ghosts yeah i don't it's just unbelievable yeah Yeah. it's awesome so So anyway yeah (laughs) yeah so
2: he um so this buck nobody had seen well and the other thing is too is i'm not sure because i because you know i had questioned if anybody else had seen a buck you know whatever but in retrospect, when I think about it, you know, there might be a handful of those individuals that may have seen him, but not wanted to reveal that they right. had seen yeah. them. Right. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> last thing you want to do, right? There's a monster in there. Yeah. So, <laughs> and 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 I get that. I understand that. Yeah. So I'm so I'm I'm okay with it, uh, but at the same time, um, so I hunted, Well, then, so the next weekend came along, and somebody didn't haunt, or there was an opening, so I hunted again. Yep. And I didn't see him, and then I I had seen a doe, or I had a doe come within shooting range. I had many many opportunities that just didn't pan out because it was really I was set up in some really thick buckthorn. Yeah, and I'd gotten I had tons of deer walking around me. I just couldn't get the shot, and then finally I got one on a doe, and I took a doe. Um, and then the third weekend came around, uh, and I was at that point it was the first first weekend in in November, and I thought this is going to be. I'm going to see this buck, yeah, for sure. And I hunted all day sits um, for three days, and I didn't see a single deer, Mm. not one. Wow. And we had taken, there was several other guys who had taken several does too, and I thought, you know, I just thought in my head, I'm like, man, would we take them all out of here or what, (laughs) you know? Is there even any deer left or what's the deal? And I kept seeing this coyote too, like clockwork. I would see him every night at about the same time, but I could never... This was one of the few metro hunts that allows you to take a coyote. Okay. And I was really kind of anxious to to maybe make that happen, but it never panned out either. So um, so the the last weekend, um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to hunt it. So I was kind of bummed out. I was like, I'm done for the season, you know. Um, and I sat down and talked to my wife, and, and I was just like, hey, you know, I don't want to take another day off of work, but I really need to hunt. I need to hunt. Yeah. I have to. You know, I need to hunt this, this weekend. And so she was like, okay. So, um, so I made it all work out, and I wasn't able to go out the Friday like we normally would, but I went out Saturday. And I sat all day Saturday, and I saw the buck that I had seen earlier in October, except, and he had come out. There was a big opening, and he had come out with a doe, and his right side actually would be his left side actually all the times were completely busted off wow just Holy the main crap. beam just one main <laughs> beam hanging there and i was like kind of bummed out i was like geez, you know of course my luck you know yeah. is this is it gonna those, happen you know
1: is, is it the urban bucks are just more scrappy or I, I
2: <laughs> it could be <laughs> um, I was That's crazy. Surprised. I, you know, cause I'm wow. like, what other buck in here could possibly do that? You know, cause yeah. what else could have done it? I don't know. Yeah. You know, especially maybe,
1: if you're talking, like you said, like 150 inch deer, there's a little bit of mass there. There's, it's not like it's a twig. It's yeah. a lot to yeah. break off. Yeah.
2: So yeah. I was, I was amazed by that, but I thought, you know what? I, if he presents me an opportunity, I'm, yeah. I'm going to take him. you know? Yeah. So. So I'm sitting there and and he's with this doe and I I start digging through my pack to try to find some calls and I can't find my calls and I realize they're in the truck. I was digging through my bag (laughs) in the morning, took them out, didn't put them back. Sure. So all I could do was watch. Um, And they were milling around in the field for a while and then eventually went away and I thought, well, this is a good opportunity for me to get out, go to the truck, get my calls, come back. Um, So I did just that. And as I'm coming out to the feet or as I'm coming out to my stand, I'm in the woods and I'm still 30 feet or about 30 yards from my tree. And there they are out in in the field, the exact same spot they were in before, which is roughly about 80 yards from the tree I was hunting in. Same spot. (laughs) So I'm kind of locked down because it's crunchy and noisy. And so over the course of about a half hour, I slowly crept my way as close to him as I could. I just kept the tree between me and the deer you know, and I got to the base of the tree and I started, you know, hitting the call and I was getting his attention, but he just wasn't, he wasn't having it. He wasn't yeah. interested. Didn't want to play the game. Yeah. So they eventually went away again. I climbed up in the tree, sat the rest of the night and that was it. Well, so I was talking to a buddy of mine and I said, Hey, I do you have, I was asking him if he had a decoy. And he's like, yeah, I got one. I, Cause I thought if I have a decoy. A yeah, dough decoy. Yeah. I have a good chance of maybe pulling him in. Uh, so, and he he said, "Yeah, I got one, but it sounds like a freight train when you're walking through the woods with it because it's old. It was like 15 <laughs> years old, and it was like 10 different pieces that you had to assemble." And I thought, well, I was like, whatever. I'll I'll get out there early if I have to. I'll you know make this happen. So I went out early in the morning, and it was pretty. It was loud, and <laughs> but then it was. We had gotten um, there was a a lot of frost on the on the grass and on the leaves as I was walking out, so it was pretty crunchy. Well, this area, this opening where I'm hunting in, it's kind of swampy. So there's a lot of that tall swamp grass. Yep. yep. And I was like thinking in my head, I'm like, "There's no way I can silently get into position where I can put that decoy without making a ton of noise." Yeah. So I thought, well, I'm just going to leave it here. I'll wait until the sun, you know, maybe around noon or something when the sun's melted all the frost jump down grab it and then set it up yep well i didn't even get that far it was seven o'clock had a little six point walk out in front of me um and in these hunts technically you're supposed to shoot them now the bucks you can pick and choose kind of you know because you know most people aren't going to burn their buck tag on a six point if they know they've got 150 inch 10 point running around right but then because it's
0: an actual management hunt like they're trying to take deer numbers they're lowering deer numbers yes okay
2: um and a doe had walked by actually before the the buck did okay but the buck was right behind and i I didn't want to disturb the woods at the moment, so I let them both go by. And then here the buck had busted the doe back out in front of me, and they went all the way across this big clearing about 100 yards away and went into the woods. And then five minutes later, here comes the doe back on the same trail. So I'm thinking, oh, here comes the little buck, going to be right behind her. Yeah. And it was this guy. (laughs) And you could tell. Oh it's yeah. Way different. hundred yards away. And I could tell instantly, I thought it was, it was the weirdest thing. It was like a six pointer went in the woods yeah, and something magical happened and he came out as a 12. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: So what went, what went through your mind just the moment you saw him like that? What was the, what were you feeling
2: at that point? Well, so I, what was interesting is my wife had sent me a text and at you know, and I grabbed my phone and I was looking at it and I was just responding real quick. And I looked up and then he came out, and the text I sent her was, Holy crap, big buck. <laughs> and then I put my phone in my pocket, you know, <laughs> and so it, that's, that's awesome. what was going on. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so he was, he chased her out of the woods and was out in that same exact area where the buck was pre the day previous. Okay. Um and there was and then there was a couple other does that had kind of filtered out. So he was kind of nudging them and kinda pushing them around and it was really cool to watch because he was lip curling and all that kind of stuff. And I was just really trying as hard as I could not to focus on his antlers. I knew that if the opportunity arose that I was gonna take him. Yeah. So I didn't I tried really hard not to focus. So I had no idea the size yeah. at all. I wasn't paying attention to that. So, um, but you yeah, just, he
1: was, you knew he was big. Though. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: well, and if you've seen the previous biggest white tail I've seen, you'd understand. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So this was, I, again, I just really couldn't really believe my eyes. It was yeah. kind of, it was very surreal. And being a bow hunter, there's a, there's
0: an aspect of it that is so exciting yet so depressing at the same time <laughs> yeah. because, you know, like you say, he's a hundred yards away and your hunt's over with a gun, but
1: mm-hmm. with a
0: bow, you're like, well, he's a little over halfway away, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know? And, and just thinking about that, that's one of the thing things as a bow hunter, you just have to, it's weird to get used to it at first, mm-hmm. where you see a deer that you just think, you know, and in the moment, you don't think, man, I could have killed him with a gun, but I don't remember how many times I've thought that later. As oh, I, mean, I think I would have shot him with a gun. I think do that you? in
1: the moment, when I, when those two deer came by on opening morning a couple of years ago, I thought, geez, if I even had a slug gun right now, yeah. it's over with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you think, well, that takes away some of the fun at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Now, it's now like I got to try to chase him all year. It's and, like a yeah.
0: hopeless feeling. Yeah. It's like you did everything you could do to prepare and now it all comes down to whether that deer is going to come within range. Yeah.
2: It's such a crazy feeling. Hmm. There's yeah, I mean I agree 100%. There's so many things that have to come together, you know, yep. um, with all of the western hunting that I've done and the spot and stock stuff, there's so many different factors that all have to kind of fall into place. Yeah. For it to work and that that doesn't just include the skills that you have and every you could do everything you possibly could have done right and something doesn't work out, yeah. You know? oh, yeah. So, um, and this is one of those cases where I just, I don't know. You know, it might sound, you know, kind of cliche, but you, it's just like it was almost like it was a meant to be mm-hmm. thing because of all <laughs> the factors yeah. that go into play. Yeah, because I wasn't supposed to hunt that weekend. Yeah, you know, and there was a different buck that I was hunting. Yeah, and his antlers were broke off. You know, and and so that. Also, kind of help provide me another opportunity to end up to kill this buck because maybe I had done something differently right um so yeah for him for for that for him to even for me to even see him was just amazing right um and
1: uh yeah not to cut you off again, but i can't I can't name anybody that I know that's seen a buck like this in their stand,
0: yeah you know like yeah. you said
1: to even be able to see something like that mm-hmm. is yeah amazing that's well, an insane and it's deer. the it's
0: the stupid social media trap these days Yeah, because it's so widespread and you'd think by looking through social media everybody's killing 170 plus inch deer and it's just not true i had a guy laugh Most guys at me don't see it.
1: a few years ago i came over and i had like a 120 inch 10 point mount and i had never even scored him he's not even a big deer but it's the biggest deer i ever shot and yeah. it was a really cool story and everything and i mounted him and he's like well, i wouldn't mount anything under 160 i'm like you're drunk you're watching <laughs> facebook and instagram too yeah. much because you know 140 inch deer is still a pretty good deer let you know? alone yeah. on public land yeah
0: like where you're in yeah. a management area, yeah, yeah, you know, let alone uh, like a, a, Metro buck yeah. yeah, that, and, and I know they get, there's kind of some people who do a lot of that and they can get big in there because yeah, they're yeah. not as pressured by hunters. But when you go in on public land and you're coming out with something like this, it's, that's incredible. yeah, It's
2: awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, like I said, it was pretty cool. And, and, you know, when it comes to you know, people's thoughts on it. You know, I even had a few people say, oh, well, didn't you kill that in a park? And it's like, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> what, do you, what do you say to it? You know, right? I, I, yeah. I'm not, it doesn't offend me by any means. Again, I like I said before, I've been hunting these, I've been doing these hunts since 2006. Yeah. So we're talking, and I only know a handful of people who have killed bucks of this caliber in those types of hunts. So it's no, it, it it is a different kind of hunting, um, you know, because the pressure is different and there's no doubt you have to hunt them differently. Uh, but I don't know that I would say it's easier. I mean, they're not on a, on a chain by any means, you know, it's, there was a lot that still had to come together for this to happen. So, um, and amazingly it did come together, yeah. you know, and I've never had success in Minnesota rattling. I've never had success in Minnesota calling. I've mm. never had, and it, and it doesn't mean, you know, it just, it, it just might mean that I don't really know what I'm doing, Yeah, you know, but at the same time, um, I've gone to other states where I've had much more success. Yeah. And I don't know if you can attribute it to the buck to dough ratio in the state being at. Being what it is, yeah, um, and that makes it more difficult. But um,
0: I've had the same experience. I have hunted a lot in Kentucky, is where I started, yeah, and they were super responsive. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't rattled in or you know snort wheezed in or or grunted in monsters, but I, it happened a lot more often there, mm-hmm. and and I haven't had any success here doing it.
1: My first deer I shot with the bow was rattled in it was a spike yeah there was an eight point it was probably you know the same deer that i saw two years ago it was probably him the year before it was a really nice eight he walked by at about 50 yards i rattled at him and he kept walking and just like you you texted your wife i was texting my wife i'm like god damn that eight pointer just walked by He's not even responding to the call. And all of a sudden a spike comes charging up underneath my stand. And he goes out to this clearing and he's kind of moseying around out there. And I texted, she's like, why didn't you shoot it? I'm like, I don't know. It's a spike. And she's like, it's your first deer with a bow. Who cares? Yeah. like, well, I'll rattle again. If he comes back I'll shoot him and I rattled him again and he came and right he back on a chain. It was <laughs> that's like, Holy crazy. crap. And yeah. it, Again, no, that's the only deer I've ever seen respond to calls that way. And Yeah, it's weird. I've I know I've
0: heard of it and I've heard here guys doing it, but I'm the same as Rick, I've never had response in Minnesota yet. So yeah. did did this one
2: did this one end up just closing the distance or well, he closed the distance, and he closed it in a hurry. oh um, <laughs> And luckily, I had my call with me this time. So, but, I, you know, I watched him for a little while, and then he kind of disappeared behind this big clump of brush. Yeah. Uh, and I knew there was, like, three or four other does over there, and I thought, oh, no, he's going to, you know, I figured I'd, I had a feeling he was going to escape um, on this one trail that I've seen, and this is where I had seen the other buck, the very first time, similar area. Um, And I thought, well, this is it, you know. And I grabbed my call and I had actually, it's interesting, I was just reading an article like a few weeks before about a guy had mentioned that you should have multiple deer buck calls in in your arsenal, just much like turkeys. You know, if you can't get them to respond to one, try something different. Sure. And I guess I just was kind of going for the you know, the hail Mary on it and just trying to do whatever I could. So I have, it was a Primos power buck and doe call. So you can adjust it
0: to to be
2: a buck call or a doe call or a, you know, a trophy mature buck or whatever. Like the tone. Yep. Yep. So I hit it a couple times, um, with the, you know, just the regular buck grunt, um, and was looking in the binoculars and didn't really see anything going on. And so then I hit it again and still wasn't really seeing anything. So then I pulled it apart and moved the rubber band down to the trophy buck option. And <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Uh, hit that a couple times. And before I could even pick my head up, he was barreling in. That's Like a, like awesome. a call commercial. That yeah. is
1: so awesome. barreling
2: in through the trees, kind of zigzagging back and forth with his head down the whole time. And I had to, you know, I had to really look close because I thought, well, this, it's, it's got to be a different buck. Yeah. You know, what are the, this can't, this isn't happening. Really. Yeah. And he came in and he stopped and he was kind of looking in my direction because they, you know, they're so good at pinpointing your location um, when it comes to sound. And so I was pretty much just frozen solid. But then he had turned to his left and had kind of swung his, you know, he gave me a broadside, but he had swung his body all the way around, like almost like he was sniffing his back foot kind of. So it was like really contorted. Um, And then he swung his, his butt around a little bit. So he was quartering away from me and he wasn't looking. So I found that opportunity to draw the bow and I knew he was at, I knew he was within 28 yards or, or less. Um, So I didn't have to um, actually, I had my sight dialed at about, 60 yards in case he got in because i felt fairly comfortable with that range but at the same time in these metro hunts you you're not supposed to shoot over 20 yards okay so it was perfect that he came into that distance and i took my sight and it has a zero stop so i'm able to just dial it right up to the top without having to look at it okay and then i was able to draw the bow back and Um, I was, it was really cold that morning. So I had a lot of, I had like a neck gaiter on and I had some stuff. So I was having a difficult time kind of getting my anchor point figured out. Yeah. And I hadn't practiced. I made the mistake of not practicing a lot with all that gear on. Um, and I got settled into the, the best of my ability that I could. Um, and I pulled the trigger and I hit him back. And I, um, I was a little, you know, in that moment, you're a little unsure of exactly where you hit, but I just knew that it wasn't. Where I wanted it to be. That's sure. a
1: terrible feeling yeah. when you get that too.
2: I, I always I learned to shoot with both eyes open so I can see where my arrow goes and it was not where I wanted it to be. And he bound away uh and then stopped and I watched him for I don't know, he probably stood there for it was probably only like five minutes, felt like half an hour, but arrow disappeared. Yeah, no arrow in him. Okay, Um, Was looking at him through the binoculars hoping to see some blood coming out or I couldn't really see much, but he was just sitting there um, and he was breathing a little heavy and I thought, well, I mean, I know I hit him, but I don't know how lethal it is. And he was quartering away, so I thought there's a chance maybe I got liver or something, but so I had high hopes, but at the same time, you know, it's pretty disappointing, yeah. you know, to do something like that with as many slam dunks as I've had on deer. Yeah. with my bow, I take a lot of pride in my shooting and my ability to shoot well. Uh, so that was a, that was kind of a struggle, but it's a different situation, right? <laughs> and at that point, at that point, it's when you really need to utilize the experience that you have with tracking and knowing how long to let an animal wait. Yeah, and it's also crucial to have people by your side that can help you make those decisions. Sure. Um, because I think a lot of people, they, I think they know what they need to do, but they, have a hard time doing they, it. Yeah. They let their emotions without, take over and yeah, right without yeah. somebody. Uh, and the, that's the nice thing about these haunts too, is that, you know, we stay in communication with the coordinators and everything. And I know the coordinators well. So I was communicating with them and they were kind of walking me, you know, talking me off the ledge, so to speak. Yeah. Um, Cause I was pretty bummed about it, but optimistic. And I had watched him for probably a half hour. He slowly just kind of walked away on the edge of the woods um, till he got to the other side of the clearing, which is roughly a hundred yards away, I made a mental note of exactly the last spot I saw him, and then he disappeared. Okay. So I thought, all right. Waited about a half hour. Got out of the tree, walked over, looked at my arrow, and there was some decent blood on it. Mm-hmm. So, of course, at that point, I freaked. You know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for a minute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, because uh, you know, joyfully. Yeah. Right. But still concerned. So. Um, so I basically got back up in the tree and I just waited in case maybe circled back around or whatever. I just waited and waited and then we had, uh, made the decision to meet, um, and go have lunch. And so we went and did that and then we talked about how long we wanted to wait and we decided we were going to wait until like, I think it was like four thirty or something, like about a half hour before sunset. Okay. Um, if I'm thinking of that right. Wanted to give him as much time as we possibly could, but give us some light, enough light to follow blood. Yeah, and um, didn't look like we were supposed to get any snow or rain, so that was good. Um, so we went out, we tracked the blood for right up to the point where I last saw him, and then we lost blood. Uh, and then the the trail kind of started getting into um, like uh, you know some some people's backyards and stuff like that. So it got to the point where it gets tricky. We have to go knock on doors and just let people know what we're doing and make oh, sure that man. they know what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so I stayed at the spot of last blood and one of the coordinators walked up to knock on the door. And when he, while he was doing that, he met up with one of the other guys that was kind of posted up just in case we bumped the deer. Um, and they decided they were just going to walk into the woods about 10 yards or so um and they got in and he got up the buck was bedded in there he got up so he was bedded in somebody's backyard for 8 hours 30 yards from their you know Jeez. from their door <laughs> just bedded in there real thick stuff but um so he got up and started moving so i tried to run around and get out in front of him and try to see if i could get another arrow in him and the closest i could get was about 75 yards and he was walking away from me and this is when i truly got an idea of how big he was because he turned and swung his head around and looked at me yeah and i was just i could barely even lift the rangefinder to range him yeah. you know just to get that range on him but um he ended up getting into the trees and i didn't get the shot so again i tried to hustle around and get up in front of him cuz the trail that he was on i knew had an idea of where he was going to come out. Was he moving pretty slow at this point? He was moving real slow, so okay. he was hurt, hurt bad. Yeah, yeah. and I, you know, I have there's I've bumped deer before, and usually they're it's like over, right? They you they're know? gone. Yeah. So, um, so I was really surprised by that too, which is another reason that leads me to believe that it was meant to be. You know, just because I, in my experience and with, you know, my luck he would just take off and be gone we'd never see him again you know (laughs) yeah Yeah. so uh, but yeah so I got out in front of him and he didn't come out and I thought he bedded up in some thick stuff so I called the coordinator and I said well I guess we'll probably best just to back out I'll come back in the morning I'm gonna go out and pull my stand and that's pretty much it and as I was walking out I had an arrow knocked and I saw him in the woods 15 yards off the trail that I was walking out on oh jeez And he was standing there looking at me, looking right at me. And so I real quick got, I didn't have much of a window to shoot him in because it was fairly thick. So I got down on my knees, drew my bow back, and there was a nice little hole through the trees right to his chest. And I put it right in the front of his chest. Frontal shot, like straight. He was facing you. Yeah. Okay. Front shot. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you know, you can call it ethical or unethical but well, if it's the second arrow it's super ethical. ethical to me yeah, yeah. anything yeah. after the first one um, yeah to me
0: is ethical yeah because yeah. especially if they're up and moving mm. you know it the it, it's not gonna hurt let's put it that way right yeah I think <laughs> exactly. the only thing you can do
1: is help right
2: yeah <laughs> and, exactly so i put the per- perfect shot and he went nice. 30 yards and piled up nice so, yeah. oh how'd that feel Yeah, i was crazy <laughs> i I, you know, and, and I'm just sitting there again, I'm looking at it and I was waiting, you know, a little bit. I didn't want to, I was, you know, he's picking his head up and then dropping it back down, picking his head up, dropping it back down. And then there's actually a trail that comes through the woods there that, um, there's a couple of families that walk their dogs okay. on those trails. And so there was a woman coming up the trail with her dog and I was like, <laughs> stop, you know, I was like trying to mimic, like stay you know because yeah. i didn't know if the dog was gonna see the deer or try to you know i didn't know what was gonna happen so and she stopped and then um after i realized that he was you know expired then um she had come up and she goes oh you got the big one didn't you <laughs> and i was like yeah it's the big one i hope sure. it's the big one <laughs> I, <yeah. laughs> that's awesome um so yeah that's and then you know and then of course the other guys i called him and i said i got him and he was like they were surprised because they thought we were packing up for the night so they came up and yeah it was it was cool it was really cool that's awesome
1: well congratulations rick
0: that it that is that is truly an awesome whitetail and obviously i mean it's kind of one of those things you just more than anything just because people won't be able to see it other than we'll post a couple pictures um on instagram of just the setup tonight but uh, for people to get an idea in their mind, you want to kind of explain him a little bit, just as rack is his, his, uh, kind of character and score.
2: Yeah. He's, um, so he's got a lot of the character that you would like to see in a deer that, you know, I mean, it's, it's very unique. He's got, you know, a couple little small little kickers, like a little tiny drop on one side. He's got, I don't even know what you call this, the little, Double drop <laughs> well it's it's got kind of the hole in the yeah. there where like I think there's a bug that gets in there, or something when they're in velvet, yeah, and it creates kind of like a little hole um and then his g twos come up they're they're not super long, but each one of them has a identically matching like mirrored sticker on each yeah, side. It's cool, um, split his, brows, yep, he's got split brows, he's broke off on the one side um and then his g3s are bladed
1: uh, that's i was looking at that earlier that's awesome
2: and that's, he's you know he's got really gnarly bases and they're they're heavy, heavy and he carries his he carries uh the the mass all the way out to the tips yep um so, so yeah nice. i mean it's just got a lot of the character that you know anybody might look for in in yeah. kind of a buck so. any idea on age Well, I I'm not particularly an expert in that area, but based on on the wear on his teeth, I'm was guesstimating five and a half or six and a half. Yeah, but it's hard to say. I don't know. I mean, if he, you know, you know, if he was anywhere around that six and a half or you know something like that, he's probably about at his peak. Yeah, you know, and and so. And who knows if he was five and a half, maybe he'd have got a little bigger. But I mean, yeah, I'm just I'm glad that uh, that I was able to take such a cool buck that's got so much character and awesome. I mean, it's it's the kind of buck that you that I could literally just hang my bow up and just be done now. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's awesome. But of course, that'll never happen. (laughs) No, 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 no. Well, good job, man.
0: Way to go, and way to stay after it and be persistent with all the complications and everything. You, I mean. That's why, that's why you do it and yeah. stay after it and got another arrow in them and put them down. And that's awesome, man. That's a great story. That's super cool. Yeah.
2: It's yeah. It, the interest. One interesting thing too, is that I've, you know, like I said, with Minnesota, it's tough and I kind of gave up on Minnesota. Um, it, my dad wasn't able to hunt anymore. So I just quit hunting here and I was always going out West hunting mule deer and um, seeing big white tails in the Dakotas and yeah. Uh, so after having good success in, in, in the past, I thought, you know, it's really time for me to put a nice white tail on the wall. Yeah. Um, and not thinking I would do it the first season that in I, that I, yeah. that I made that, um, commitment. So, yeah. uh, so yeah, that was pretty cool. And, and then it also helped me to realize that this state really does have a lot to offer. Yep when it comes to white tails, you know, it just, because naturally I was paying more attention to all the bucks that were being killed in, in, in the state. And there's a lot of big deer in Minnesota. There yeah. just, there really is. It's And, and I think, you know, unfortunately a lot of it has to do with access. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that's where the misconception is with whether we have big deer here or not. It's just, there's, there's, there's a good amount of public land, you know but it's tough because there's we're getting more and more hunters now which is a good thing right uh but that also increases the pressure and so it makes a little bit more difficult when it comes to that but yeah um but yeah that's awesome yeah cool
1: yeah
0: awesome well we can uh we can switch gears a little bit and talk uh we want to talk about vapor trail some um obviously we're partial to Minnesota companies. Yeah. Any any hunting, fishing, outdoor companies that are based here in Minnesota. You, you kind of always have that home state pride. Yeah. So Joe and I both have Vapor Trail strings on our bows and have loved them. Yeah. Um and everybody we've talked to that shoots shoots, you know, quite often that has them, loves them. So um you want to just kind of give us a rundown of Vapor Trail maybe uh Don't have to go into any secret detail about, you know, something specifically that you guys do in making strings. But uh, even you've got a new rest coming out.
2: Yeah. I want to talk
0: about that a little bit. And, uh, yeah, so you want to share some of that stuff with us.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, So, like I said, I got started with Vapor Trail in 2006. And I had some other things, some other projects, archery-related projects going on at the time. So I was only working a little bit. With them, and then I was going to school at the art institute too, so I was trying to focus on that. But um, we've we have our own proprietary materials called VTX, which stands for Vapor Twist Extreme. Okay, we're the only manufacturer in the industry that has a proprietary material, uh, and it the reason that we developed that, or, or Jared Fondy, the 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 founder of the company, developed it, was he was doing a lot of target shooting um, back in the you know, nineties and he wasn't particularly happy with the consistency and the stability of the materials that were available on the market at the time. So he was working with some companies, a couple different companies, uh, to come up with that material. And after some trial and error in a couple of years, that's how VTX was born. Oh, okay. Uh, it, it, really we haven't had to make a lot of changes to it since now there's a lot of materials coming out in the market that are starting to kind of catch up with it and like I I had mentioned before when we were talking is that it's not always it's not so much the material it's also the process that's involved with building it that also gives the the string its stability sure um, so we have a process and there's there's other companies that use the same process uh, but we also have some unique um, ways of doing things that are proprietary that, you know, I, that I can't discuss, but we've just, we've got hundreds of thousands of customers that can attest to that. Uh, and we also use some of the other materials on the market, um, just because we get, you know, you get some, some people that are real diehard about specific materials. So we carry those as well just to accommodate them. Okay. And then, so 452X, it's, it's been one of the industry standards for many, many years. Um, and it works well. And we, the other reason we carry it is because we've got a larger array of colors. You can get speckled colors. And so we have about twice as many colors in the 452X as we do the VTX.
1: People love their colors.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, sometimes, he, you know, we even, you know, I'll tell them, well, you know, the VTX is more stable and, well, no, I really want this color. So, but again, it's, <laughs> you know, the materials are all still, I think it's, I think it's more the process, yeah you know, that makes it what it is. versus and, fac- fashion a little bit sometimes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, it, you know, it, it just depends, you right. know, if you're, uh, sometimes the confidence that you have in your equipment. Sure. Can help you be a better big time yeah. archer or big hunter time. or whatever yeah. it may be. So, yep. and I shouldn't say sometimes that 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 plays a role in a lot of that kind of stuff. But uh, then we're also carrying a newer material that just came out last year. It's called Mercury. Uh, okay. Bcy manufactures it, and it's a. The reason we decided to carry it is because our VTX and 452X is a blended material, so it has a few different fibers in it to make it what it is. Uh, now this mercury is not a blended material. It's a hundred percent Dyneema. And the reason people request that is because it has a tendency to be faster hmm. and it doesn't fuzz up. It doesn't get as fuzzy as the blended materials. And so there is a, there's, there's a, there's a market for it. Um, I don't, I wouldn't, if someone was to ask me, I would always refer somebody to v, our VTX material because we've been using it for, like I said, the, little over a decade now. It's kind of the proven material. Right. Um, but we'll also you know we want to be able to accommodate people for what they're what they're looking for. So we do have uh that mercury material. There is a slight upcharge for it. And not because it's a better material, but because we get charged more for it. Sure. And we don't use near as much of it. So we we don't we can't order it in bulk quantities like we like we can with the vtx so okay um naturally it costs us a little bit more money to make but cool um i think joe's got it on his yeah i've got
1: it right now and i i mean i've been pretty impressed by it it's a it's a really good product i think the big selling point for me was when i went in and talked to ricky and showed him my string that had you know i don't know a few hundred arrows through it maybe not much um it was pretty fuzzed up already and Ricky pointed out and I think this would be a smart thing to talk or a good thing to talk about for people to know is you know a lot of it depends on how you're carrying your bow if you're hunting out west and you've got it strapped into a backpack or if you've got it strapped into a case just that friction of it rubbing your straps and stuff like that or having your hand on it all the time yeah. will cause it to fuzz up and that was something I learned at the time and maybe that's something most people know but to me it was news and yeah. Um, you know, and, and the Mercury does a little less of that, which is nice. Um, but I, I told Ricky, I said, <laughs> I said, I'm always willing to be a tester for whatever. So if this right. is something that, that not many people are using yet, I, I'll give it a shot and see what I think of it. And so far, yeah. I mean, like you said, it's, it's snappy. It seems really snappy. Um, it's held up really well yeah. and I've shot a decent amount and then my case also straps around it. and. um it seems to work really well for me, but you know, I think I also wanted just a black string and all that, you know, I don't get into that so much. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's great for that, but yeah, no, I, I like it. And, um, I've been shooting a couple different arrows with it and playing around with a little bit and haven't found any flaws yet. So
0: how, uh, we're going to ask Rick, um, we talked about it a little bit before we started up the podcast. Um, and I shared a little bit about wax in my string you mentioned you can over wax what what uh what would you suggest for guys and I know it's probably relative to how much somebody shoots mm-hmm. you know some guys shoot eight arrows before the opening day uh all year and then some guys shoot every day so yeah. what would you suggest or, or kind of if you can quantify that a little bit about you know just keeping your string uh in good condition
2: it, you know, I get asked that question a lot and it's a, it is a tough question to answer yeah. because there's so many other factors that are involved. Um, and it, and I, and I can't speak from experience because like I said, like I was telling you guys, I, I don't ever wax my <laughs> yes. to abuse it. <laughs> yeah. And, and the reason being is I'm trying to see how much, you know, stress I can put the strings and cables through before. Um, and, and I don't ever wax them and I beat them up and I, I, very rarely run into any problems, but, um, but yeah, we get that a lot. You know, anytime you have any sort of friction on the string, um, you know, you, you may run into a situation where some of the, some of the smaller fibers start to break away a little bit and it doesn't mean that the string is breaking down or that it's not going to function well. It's, it's mostly an aesthetic thing. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, you can get, I mean, I've seen some situations where it's really fuzzed up and it's like a five-year-old string and it's, well, yeah, okay, it's probably time to get a new one. <laughs> right. Uh, and the other thing is too, is nowadays the, with the performance that the bows are putting out, the string and cables just don't last as long as they used to. Yeah. Especially in the serving areas. Those are usually the, what go first. You've got really harsh draw curves on the cams where you're coming over the, the peak weight of the of the bow during the draw cycle and that's typically where you're going to see some separation in your serving. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people get real panicky when they start to see that. And it's it's normal yeah. um, over a certain amount of time. Now what we're trying to do is we're trying to prevent that from happening for as long as possible. Yeah. Eventually, you know, it it's going to break down and fall apart, but we want to make sure that you can get through at least a season, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so we have and, and there's only so many materials out there that we can use and so many methods we can use to apply them until you know a bow company they just don't take that into consideration whether the bow is going to beat up a set of strings and cables or not sure they're just right. concerned about whatever performance. performance it is they're looking for yeah and whether the strings and cables can hold it together yeah <laughs> for however long you need it to right um so uh and and we we are diligently working on different techniques, different methods of applying the servings, using different tools, um, and I think we've done a pretty good job of making that making them last as long as we possibly can. But then we also have what we call a lifetime service guarantee on our strings and cables. So for what that means is, so for up to a year from the original receipt, um, if you have any serving separation, uh, peep, erratic peep twist, or uh, stretch or creep or anything of that nature will replace the will replace it for free. Hmm. Um, and as you know, if it's a slow time, you know we try to see if you can send. You know if we can. Um, have you send it back to us and we'll repair it or whatever. But if it's, you know, we understand how it is. You're in the middle of the season. It's crunch time. You know what I mean? You can continue to shoot your bow. Even if you have a little separation on the serving, we'll send you the new piece. You can swap it out and then, and then you're up and running again. Uh, we also do have, but a part of the lifetime service guarantee is that for the life of the strings and cables, Now, a lot of people misconstrue that for their lifetime, and that's (laughs) we could not possibly stay in 85 years if we provided you with a lifetime of strings and cables. So for the lifetime of the strings and cable set, uh, we'll repair we'll repair it at a minimal cost Yeah, and okay. usually, most of the time it, you know, it's just easier. You, you send it to us, just flip the bill to get it to us. We'll repair it and get it back to you. Cool. Nice. So, cool. um, so the guarantee really is, is that we'll, you know, we'll, if something goes wrong, we'll take care of it Yeah, and yeah. we do everything we can in our power to ensure that it'll last you as long as possible. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Awesome. That's what we always talk about when it comes to the hunting industry is you're trying to choose which products to use and you're trying to figure out what's going on is number one, to sit down and have conversations with people um, that do it it often. Joe and I talk about this all the time is don't take advice from somebody who doesn't do this often and who doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah. A lot of
1: times it, it comes down to even questioning and a lot of times it's in our experience what we've noticed is a, like not to put them out there or to pick on them but a lot of times it's writers writers that are writing um look into it research it see what they've done there's going to be guys out there that are testing backpacks and stuff that have done one western hunt and it was eight years ago yeah you know it's you you've got a really really Look into the stuff and research it before you take somebody's word for it. Yeah, yeah. With you guys, from what I've experienced coming into your shop, before I even knew who Rick was, I came in there, uh, it must have been two, two and a half years, two years ago, I came in there and hit Vapor Trail up to sponsor and do some giveaways for the train to hunt when it came here the first year. Yeah. And they were on board right away, but just walking into the shop, you can tell everybody here archery hunts yeah. and they're serious about it yeah. because there's pitchers everywhere. There's mounts up, there's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff you want to see out of somebody that's providing you with something that you're trying to do the same thing with. Especially yeah. something
0: as important as your string. Yeah. People I think overlook that. They're yeah. like, what sight am I going to get? Yeah. What, what rest, what vibration dampener am I yeah. going to get? And yeah. it, and it's like, well, the, the main constant, what you're going to probably have, you know, the most consistency on your bow with is going to be your string yep. and getting that bow tuned. And that's what I was going to say is, you know, settling in on not only somebody who makes a great product, but customer service and relations. I had a, I think I was telling you, um, one of my buddies, Jake worked uh, yep. there for a while and I think he's, he's finishing up school now, but, um, he, uh, when I was getting new strings on my bow, he, I said, yeah, I'm going to put vapor trails on my string uh, on my bow and, He's like, oh yeah, I I build strings over there, and, and and he's like, they're just awesome, and you know, and it was kind of one of those mm. things. You have a personal connection, and I understand you can't always have a personal connection with a company, but there's, for me, it, it, what goes a long way is somebody who makes a great product, is super experienced in what they do, and good customer service. Yeah, and you know, and I now testimonials about your guys' strings. I've heard so many, and, and, without being any negative. That like that you, you figure something out and, and maybe it's a Minnesota
1: thing who knows but it Could seems be. like everybody I talk to is like yeah I use Vapor Trail yeah. I use Vapor Trail that like dar- die hard. yeah guys, yep. and I've had a few guys tell me otherwise and I've got one guy right now that's switching to Vapor Trail and you know but it's like for the most part. Everybody already uses them. I used them on my Creed when I had it. I switched to Vapor Trail and loved them. And mm-hmm. then I got my Halon and in a pinch got some other strings and wasn't extremely thrilled with them. They worked fine, you know, at the time, but I wasn't extremely thrilled with them. And as soon as I got them on there, I was like, man, I'd really like to get some Vapor Trail on there <laughs> yeah. again. Because they do, like you said, the stability in the string – is extremely important. Yeah. That's probably the biggest thing is the stability of the string. And Vapor Trail holds the exact same shape. Doesn't seem to twist as much as some strings might. It it, it just all around a really good product. Yeah. So. so if you're
0: out there listening to the podcast and you need new strings on your bow, check them out. We'll tag them in our social media posts and also on this on the show notes. But Um, and we're not saying that as like a sponsorship thing, you know, we bought our, our strings and we'll continue to buy them. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, it's just one of those things when you find something that works, you get excited about it because there's a lot of stuff that doesn't Mm. work Mm. (laughs) the way you thought it would, you know?
1: No, I think we need to dive into the new stuff. Some of the other things that Vapor Trail's doing real Um, quick before we get into that.
2: Yeah. I don't think I answered your original question, and that was about waxing the yeah. strings. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, so <yeah>. just really <laughs> quick, right. I want to touch on that because there is, um, just like you said, uh, I think there's some people that they do wax. They're st- they're, they're, they're overly obsessive about the waxing. Yep. Um, I know that when I first got into this, I was taught that you put wax on the string, and then you take a piece of suede, or you take something, and you're really rub it in good you know you create some friction create some heat so that the wax melts into the center or Mm -hmm. the core of the string and um, and to be honest I think that that does work but over time it's going to fuzz that string up more okay and it's going to change the aesthetics of the way that it looks now it's not going to make it's not going to make it perform less but there's that misconception where if it is getting fuzzy, people feel like, oh, well, this string is no good, or it's falling apart, or it's not going to work for me. And really, you just wax liberally. You don't. It's not necessary to rub it in. Just put a light coating of wax on there. You can use your fingers just to give just to give it a nice wipe out. to smooth it out. Yeah. Um, you don't need a lot of it on there. Just a just a thin coat. And actually I'm going to plug a product that we have It's called VT wax. And it's like this, it's, it's actually manufactured by Stokerized, but it's a little, uh, felt pad and it's got wax impregnated in it and it cleans conditions and it leaves a coating of wax on your string. And it's nice. super easy to use and you don't have to create a lot of friction and you can keep it in a little Ziploc baggie in your pack. Okay, it makes, work it cool.
1: makes it dummy proof.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's really that's easy. A good nice. That's a good guy good use that. You guys sell that? You guys <laughs> yep.
1: have
0: okay, cool. DT mm-hmm. awesome. Wax, yep. Nice, nice, cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So um so we probably want to talk a little bit about the rest, because yep. you guys make make a rest and mm-hmm. there's a lot of rests on the market, but we were talking before we turned the podcast on about just personal preference, because there's a lot that goes into this stuff. Personal preference. But also there's just some actual functionality issues too that go into a lot of the stuff. Yeah. So like you mentioned before, uh, you know, if you got into Archery, I don't know, eight, ten years ago, there was a handful of you know, that was starting to kind of be the drop rest drop rest craze. And the first one I had, I won't name what it was, but I had constantly had issues with um with my arrow kind of bouncing out of that valley a little bit or you know right at the end of the draw right right there in the valley of the draw cycle um, having my arrow bounce out of there and so I've been a become a big fan Joe and I have both talked about it of, of kind of a full capture idea but also that drop away consistency and and being able to tune and so, could you go into a little bit about some some of the engineering
2: and thoughts behind your rest and then maybe the new rest absolutely so we the line of of rests that we have are known as limb drivers yep um, and there's there's many different limb driven style rests out on the market now. Uh, vapor Trail originated that technology. Okay. So we were the first ones to start to utilize that technology and we were laughed at.
0: Now for those, now for those of the listeners who don't know what that is, could you explain exactly what it means to yep, be limb absolutely. driven?
2: So your traditional drop-away arrow rest, the cable or the activation cord that makes it function is typically served into the cable of the string yep. on the bow. Now, the way ours works is it's limb driven, so the activation cord actually goes to your limb, yeah. And the the spring in it is reversed, so instead of on a cable driven, the spring actually is what drops and pulls the rest out of the way, yeah. Where the way ours functions is, is the spring raises the rest, and it's the limb that pulls the rest out of the way, yeah. So the faster the bow. The faster it's going to drop out of the way mm-hmm. and then you also have control you can time it and you can set depending on where you set the cord on the limb that controls when it drops and how quickly it drops sure so you have control over that as well okay and when dropaways first came out the idea was that there was little to no interference with your arrow whatsoever because it would just drop away immediately. Yep. And the problem that you run into with that type of technology is that as it drops, there's nothing supporting the arrow. So it just want, it, it just initially falls. So if you were to watch a slow motion video of it, you would see the actual arrow drop first and then travel through. So you've got some vertical travel on your arrow now. Whereas with a limb driven rest, you can control how long the arm holds the the arrow in the up position. Yeah. And it's also, it's not static. So this, there's a spring in there that you can adjust the tension. So you can, you can adjust it for the arrow that you're shooting. Hmm. So you can, if you have a heavier for a weight. Okay. So for I was weight. wondering
1: about that. Was, yeah. I was wondering that too. I'm like, so if nice. you have a heavier yeah. arrow, does it sit down? Yeah. So if
2: you have a heavier arrow, you can increase your spring tension. If you have a lighter, arrow, you can decrease it. You just want that spring tension to be just enough to raise that arrow up. Yeah. Uh and the beauty of that is, is you, so now we have a free-floating head. Yeah. So when you're at full draw, you can push down on the, on the launcher arm that supports the arrow. You can push it down. It has forgiveness. So any inconsistency in shooter form or arrow spine or anything of that nature is actually cushioned and corrected.
0: Okay. Making,
2: that the, making the rest much more forgiving. Yeah. Right? And on top of that now... Which, we, which I need. Yeah, (laughs) right. So you have that support, and you know, and a lot of, and and so, but now you wouldn't want that support for the for that long in the shot cycle if you had a solid static platform because the arrow is oscillating, so it's then going to want to flop around. You know, it's going to throw the arrow off. But that that cushion um, helps it fly through straight. Yeah. Okay. Now the other advantage you get is you're no longer interfering with the timing of your cables. Yeah, right. Because that's a big thing. Now, with you know, a lot of the bows no on the market on now anymore. are binary, or you know, yep. you have mirrored cams. So, yep. anytime you're putting something into a cable, you're changing the timing as you draw the bow back or at full draw, right? So, now you're eliminating that completely from the equation. So, you don't have to compensate with your tuning in order to make to get proper flight. Nice. It makes a lot of yeah. sense.
1: And that's a lot of stuff that I think people don't think about when mm-hmm. they think about a rest.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't have I, a clue. No,
1: either did I. I'm sitting here going, Oh Jesus, that makes sense. Oh, well, yeah. that makes yep. sense. Yeah, oh, man. I can't believe I didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did
0: now, but early on, most of my, my drop rests were cable driven mm-hmm. and I didn't even think about it. And yeah. then it wasn't until a couple of years ago, I started to think, wait a minute, you know, there's tension on that cable. So when I draw, there's a tensioning that's happening on that. So what's that doing to, you know, yeah. and just started thinking about it. So that's when, you know, moving to limb driven, that's, that's a, and you guys were the
2: first ones to do that. First yes. ones to kind of pioneer that. That's cool. Wow. The first one's to have a patent penned on it, and then okay. um, now other companies have followed suit, yeah. uh, which in our eyes is kind of a compliment the way we see it, and it's, and it's helped to bring the technology to the table. Yep. So in turn, it's really kind of helped us out, yeah. uh, especially when we can say that we originated the technology, and a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. The other thing is, the other advantage that you get is if you're out in the field, and something happens to that cord, or something happens to the rest. That you have to have a a press, yeah, oh, yeah, to get it to get it set. And try back to split up. your string. So yeah, or your so cable. and there's other ways of there's other methods of doing it if in a pinch if you need to. But we actually recorded a video and we did a, uh, we had an ad campaign last year that was misconception of, of limb drivers. And we, we did a video where, um, ears, here's, a, he's our general manager. A lot of people know him. He's kind of the face of the company right now, but he, so we had him, we we're out of his place and he shot an arrow at 40 yards, took a scissors out of his pocket and cut the cord, took it all apart, took a little piece that he had in his bino case, lined it all back up, shot another arrow at 40 yards. This all happened within two minutes and 20 seconds. Hmm. We walked down to the target and his point of impact was within a half inch. Wow. That's awesome. I have never seen a test. I thought we would see a test come out or somebody, you know, another cable driven company come out with a rebuttal to that. I have not yet because I don't think they can do it. Yeah, And especially not in that amount of time.
0: So what, what can I ask now? So that, that, um, that cable, uh, so it attaches on, uh, on the limb, what type of, what, how do you, what do you have for an attachment to the rest itself? How does it attach to the rest itself?
2: There is, uh, so we have like a button head screw. Okay. So the cord comes up, goes around that button head screw and then you you cinch that down Okay. and then, Typically what I do is I'll tie like three or four hitch, like half hitch knots into it. Okay. Just so I have like an excess chunk of material. So in case I need a D loop in the, in the field or something, you can just snip some off and yeah. use it. Yeah. And it's just an added, you know, in case that bolt comes loose, I've, you just tighten it down. I've never had anybody report that the bolt comes loose, but sure. Nice. It's just a way to keep a good chunk of material there. Yep. You know, that's not going to get in your way. And then easy you to
0: replace it. in the field too. Mm-hmm. You just, you just. Loosen that set screw, yep, and wrap your new piece of cable around mm-hmm. it, set it back in, make sure it's bottomed out, right? Yep, and then just set it back in, you're good to go. Yep, that's awesome. And the yeah.
2: cord just ties around the limb, you know, you just run it around the limb right. and just tie a like a D loop knot, like right. a double hitch knot around itself. Yep, and then we also have a little limb pad that comes in there, it's a little rubberized pad just to prevent it from slipping. Yep, but I I use it now, but I've experimented without having one there in the past and I've never had I've never had the cable slide. Cool. And even if it did, it's not going to change the functionality of the rest at all. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's a, cool. A good thing to point out and something I started thinking about a couple of years ago is like Western hunting. <clears throat> you're backpacked in somewhere and you bust that cable on a cable driven or bust the cord on a cable driven, you're kind of screwed. But you know, like you said, with a limbs with a limb driven you can just re-tie it up and you're ready yeah. to go. And, yeah, And Western hunting. an extra little piece. Yeah, yeah. and how you many know. times do you walk and you snag your bow on something or it's on a pack and something gets snagged up on it? Yeah. It happens all the time. <laughs> Touch
2: your broad head to
1: that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, well. Oh. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, and even, even in that respect, you know, I've had a lot of people, and this is one of my first um misconceptions about the limb driver as well is, Well, I don't really, I mean, that's a lot of cord. I don't know if I, I don't like that cord. I feel like it's going to get in the way or it's going to get snagged on something or whatever. But in reality, I mean, you already have your cables coming across the center of your bow anyways. Yeah. And I have never had an issue with it. Yeah. Ever. Right. I've never, and even if I've snagged it on something, it's durable enough. It's not gonna, you know, I, I mean, it. It's just it's just such a simple system. Yep. It's so easy to replace and get you back up and running if you need it. And we actually joked about making a video where maybe somebody was carrying a press on their back, you know, out in the field, <laughs> and then somebody else had a chainsaw yeah. where they could cut a log so we had a level surface to work yeah. on. Yeah. Um yeah. But You're right, inter- though. Interestingly enough, um, Ears, he's actually in Redding right now at the Western Trail shoot, but a few years ago he had a guy that was kind of badgering him a little bit during the course of the day about the cord getting caught on something, and finally he you know he strategically kind of waited until like close to the end of the day, and he just cut his cord, and the guy goes "What the heck did you do that for you're done?" and he goes hands him the knife and says, "Cut your cord and he's like, "I'm not cutting my cord, you're crazy." so ears took the boot his boot lace out. Tied it back up, shot the rest of the course. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. And the guy at that point was like, Oh, <laughs> I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so that's just it. Yep. You know, I mean, yep. cut your cable driven rest, yep. you know, and he's like, Heck no, I ain't gonna do that. Yeah. so, awesome. so yeah, there's many advantages to it. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. So with the with the new rest that you guys
0: have coming out, it's not on the market yet. Not sure. But you guys have it, do you have an idea of when
2: people might be able to see it? hard to say that's that's a tricky one you because sure. we've answered that question before and got and then, bit on it yep um yeah, don't answer then and, and, <laughs> and, and, and the <laughs> that's reason, okay well the reason is 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 mainly because we know what we want yep. it's just getting somebody to make it sure for us. sure and we've had we've had um engineers say we can do this and then in the end they're like oh, I guess we can't do it. Yeah. And in all reality, it's been done. So it could have been done. They just didn't have the resources sure. or whatever it may be. So we go back to the drawing board and we try to find someone else that can make it happen. So um, we we finally uh, are at that point. We've yep. got prototypes um, out currently now. We've got people shooting them. Cool. Um, I'm hoping to be the first one to kill an animal with it soon. Nice. Yeah. But I have a feeling, I don't know, I'm not going to be able to hunt turkeys again until May 12, so there's okay. a lot of people that have an opportunity to to get it done. Before yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, basically what it is, it's on the Pro-V platform. Yeah. And the difference being is, so with our Pro-V, it's it's about a, I don't know, an 80% capture. Let's yeah, put okay. it that way. There's a, There's a loading gate that comes from the top, but there isn't anything that would prevent your arrow from coming out the top, which... Again, never been an issue for me. I don't, I'm not a monkey. I don't shoot my bow upside down. Uh, But I do. So for people (laughs) like Joe, like Joe, we've, 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 we've answered the call. (laughs) (laughs) And we now have a full 100% capture side load. uh, And it is a rubber over mold on it. So to help keep it silent and right now we're just currently kind of trying to figure out a universal way to make it fit on as many bows as we possibly yeah, can. Sure. And I know there's going to be a few right now our Pro V there's there's like two or three bows out there that that it doesn't function on but we're just trying to come up with ways and different brackets and things like that so we can make it universal and make it work. Okay. So if to answer your question I'm I feel confident in that we will have them ready to ship before the hunting season starts okay and before deer hunting yes okay and we're pushing to get them out obviously much earlier or as soon as we possibly can so people can get them on their bows and shoot them and get them out there and but we want to have the testing done we want to like i said we've got a handful of them out there to some of our pro staff and to several others okay and i've been i just got it put on my new bow and it's i mean it's shooting awesome nice you know it's you know it's the same mechanism as a pro V but it's just got a full capture cage on it so that's awesome yeah and I've that seen I've
1: seen the prototype that you guys had the original prototype yeah um, in the shop and it's it's really cool it looks you know like the pro V obviously but the the layer of rubber coating on there is so thin that you almost have to touch it to actually tell that it's even there and then the one that I saw I don't know if this is the one this is what you're sticking with, but it had that little rubber flap kind of on the side where you could pull it out. So you, if you needed to pull your arrow out, you could pull it out that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It was really cool. I think it's a really cool idea and you'll have the sound deafening of the rubber. You'll have the full capture. Um, So guys that are going out West and doing a stock, like we were talking earlier, you flip your bow down a certain way, hold the arrow with your thumb. I mean, there's times where you're not really able to do that, where your bow going to be in a funky position. And if your arrow did tip down or something like that, it's going to hit that rubber. It's going to be silent, you know, to a point it's going to be quiet. And it's, the arrow's not going to fall out of there. Yeah. Um, unless you got the wrong knock and really. Yeah. I mean, it,
2: I'd be, I'd be surprised. I mean, it there, I suppose there's that possibility where, yeah. you know, it, it if it was to catch on a twig or something and that twig was to happen to push it through right at the gate, but the gate's up high where your arrow is unlikely to be, you know, and it's as long as that arrow is somewhere within that cage and you draw the bow back, it's going to bring it up and it's going to center it to the same spot every time. That's the beauty of it too. That sounds awesome.
1: I'm sure people have seen the original rests and stuff that you guys do with the big V style rest. We were talking earlier is there's some rest out there that just have that little tiny V that your arrow's barely going to fit on. And like Brian was saying, it's like a Y. Yeah. You'll do, yeah. It's just a little Y <laughs> yep. and you'll do that draw and it'll fall off or whatever with this. It's like your arrow can be all the way to the right against the cage and you pull back to draw and it's going to drift right back to yeah. the center where well, it needs to be. And you
0: hear people say, I had people tell me, it was like, well, if, you, if you're drawn and it's popping out like that, then, you know, that's, that's cause you're pulling too much weight. And it's like, you tell that to me when, I, when it's negative 10 and I got a whole bunch of clothes on yeah, yeah. and here comes my one chance all season mm-hmm. and my adrenaline's through the roof and you know n- nobody calmly target shoot style pulls their bow back like that yeah. in those situations. And I want something where the worst of the worst conditions, yeah. I'm going to draw back and not have to worry about that arrow bouncing off and landing on my riser Or something crazy. Mm
1: -hmm. It's that debate of like with the backcountry stuff is you want to have, or any kind of hiking hunt even, you want to have everything with you possible that you could possibly need in case something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. But you always end up weighing out, well, wait to, am I actually going to use this? And then you end up stripping your pack and throwing half the stuff in the truck. Mm -hmm. With this, you're not, there's no debate. In my mind, if you're going to do a limb-driven system You've got the limb-driven system, and you've got a full capture. It's not going to cost you anything else. Plus, you have the coverage of your arrow's not going to fall off. Like vapor trail's gotten to a point in my mind by just seeing this prototype. They've gotten to a point where they're covering basically everything you can think of. Yeah, um, to a point of where they're—it's like like the waxing stuff you were talking about earlier. Right they're trying to make it as dummy-proof as possible which is good, which is good. Cause, a Cause lot it doesn't matter how, yeah, it doesn't matter how good you are. There's so many factors yeah. that come into play. Yeah. Why not take something that's going to give you the best chance? And again, vapor is not doing anything for us. They're not sponsoring us or anything like that. This is just our opinions yeah. on it. And I, I really don't see a fault in it. I've been bugging Ricky ever since I saw the videos from ATA about this prototype. Like when's that thing coming out i want it in time for turkey season when's this coming (laughs) up yeah yeah so yeah i'm excited about it i think a lot of people are from what i've seen
2: yeah i mean we we've got orders for them already you know and so it's I'm confident it's going to be a big hit, and the nice. other thing, the one thing that you maybe haven't seen yet is that the the rubber overmold that's on that cage is going to be in multiple colors. So,
1: of course, it is. We'll people have red, love
2: their colors: pink, yellow, <laughs> white, gray, blue. I mean, you name it. We're gonna and they look sharp. No. You know, so nice. We'll be able to provide that as well, and I think that's going to be a big hit with people. And I think we'll still be able to continue to do some custom stuff on it because with our Pro V, we can do custom etching on it with yeah. our laser etching machine, and uh, we did a couple of, for Backcountry yeah. Hunters and angles, yeah, we, so cool. we did some, you know, uh, keep public lands and public hands and stuff like That's that. That's awesome. And with this, now it's a rubber material, so we haven't got to play around with it too much, but I don't see any reason why we wouldn't be able to put some custom stuff into there too yeah. for you, you know, if you're like, got a cool nickname or something yeah. that you want to put in there. I'm trying to think of some of the funnier ones I've seen, <laughs> but. Or everybody wants to have on their riser, pick a spot. Yeah, like yeah. cam yeah.
0: or whatever he's yeah. got on his yeah. send it send it keep, keep hammering <laughs> <but> keep, <laughs> let it rip yeah. <laughs>
2: that's awesome so yeah so we'll, so we're excited about it and i we you know i wish we would have been able to get it out there earlier but we don't want to run into problems sure. before the yeah no, we makes, just want to make sure yeah. that everything is we we can work out any possible kinks that we can, that we can find. Yep. And we've been bit by that in the past too, yep. you know, where we just didn't, we just tried to go too quick with it. And yep. this, this project has been in the works for like three years. Okay. And we've got a good team of engineers now and we've got other p- things in the works as nice. well. We've already got some new plans for some 2019 stuff in cool. the works too. So cool, lots to look forward to there. Awesome. And, and there's not a lot more we can really do with the strings. I mean, they're as perfect as they can be. So sure. we'll just cool. keep providing everybody with rock solid strings and it's about all we can do. Sounds like yeah. a good
0: plan. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks Rick for joining us tonight. Joe and I, we, uh, we've been excited about doing this one cause we've wanted to hear kind of the, the ins and outs of, of not only this deer hunt, uh, this awesome buck, but vapor trail and the things you guys have going on. So it's uh it's been a pleasure. Man, thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for, for stopping by and, and anyone out there who's listening, um, go check out Vapor Trail. You guys are on Facebook, Instagram, yeah. You can go to the, your website, Vaportrail.com. VaporTrail Archery.com. Okay. Yeah. Um, check them out. Uh give them a holler if you need some new strings. Be on the lookout for that new rest. Um and other than that, we I think we'll probably sign off for tonight. Thanks everybody for listening. Go uh give us a a review um subscribe and uh, let us know how we're doing we want to continue to to bring these podcasts to you and and hopefully have keep having awesome guests on like this it's a lot it's a lot better than just me and joe talking yeah <laughs> it's people yeah. that know a lot more than us so yeah it's fun <laughs> yeah well thank you sir appreciate it you bet yeah, thanks rick all thanks, right guys see you guys original music for this podcast was created by Nakota rankin This podcast is edited, mixed, and mastered by Dakota Rankin.